Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. I had the immense honor of interviewing Barbara Kingsolver and her daughter, Lily Kingsolver. Together, they wrote Coyote's Wild Home. Barbara Kingsolver grew up in rural Kentucky. She earned degrees in biology from DePaul University and the University of Arizona and has worked as a freelance writer and author since 1985. Her books, in order of publication, include The Bean Trees, Homeland, Holding the Line, Women in the Great Arizona Mine Strike, Animal Dreams, Another America, Pigs in Heaven, High Tide in Tucson, The Poisonwood Bible, Prodigal Summer, Small Wonder, Last Stand, America's Virgin Lands with photographer Annie Griffiths Belt, Animal Vegetable Miracle, A Year of Food Life, The Lacuna, Flight Behavior, Unsheltered, 
How to Fly in 10,000 Easy Lessons, and Demon Copperhead, which is still on the bestseller list. She served as editor of Best American Short Stories 2001. Her books have been translated into more than 30 languages and have been adopted into the core literature curriculum in high schools and colleges around the nation. She has contributed to more than 50 literary anthologies, and her reviews and articles have appeared in most U.S. newspapers and magazines. Demon Copperhead was named an Oprah Book Club selection immediately upon publication, and in 2023 was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Demon Copperhead also received Britain's prestigious Women's Prize for Fiction, formerly known as the Orange Prize, making her the first author in the history of the prize to receive the award twice. Barbara Kingsolver was named one of the most important writers of the 20th century by Writer's Digest. In 2000, she received the National Humanities Medal, our country's highest honor for service to the arts. Critical acclaim for her books include multiple awards from the ABA and American Library Association, among many others. The Poisonwood Bible was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the Orange Prize and won the National Book Award of South Africa before being named an Oprah Book Club selection. Animal Vegetable Miracle won numerous prizes, including the James Beard Award. The Lacuna won the Orange Prize for Fiction in 2010. In 2011, King Solver was awarded the Dayton Literary Peace Prize for her body of work. She is a member of the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Her daughter and co-author, also actually the first author listed on the book, as Barbara will explain, Lily grew up in Southwest Virginia, where the Appalachian Mountains ignited her passion for wild creatures and the places they live. She has shared her love of the wild as a naturalist and educator in state zoos and parks in Southwest Virginia and the Space Coast of Florida, where she is currently working on a graduate degree in environmental education. She lives in Florida with her husband, dog, and several reptiles. Coyote's Wild Home is her first published book. By the way, Barbara and Lily did a post about our interview where they included a picture of all of us waving on their Instagram accounts, which was pretty much the coolest thing. Welcome to this fabulous mother-daughter duo that I have here today. So exciting. So Lily and Barbara Kingsolver have co-written Coyote's Wild Home, an absolutely beautiful, I'm holding this up, not that anybody who's listening can see, but on the video you can see, I'm holding up this beautiful cover of a coyote with one of the little cubs sort of, you know, nuzzling, and it's so sweet, this whole um, beautiful image, which captures the beautiful story. So anyway, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. This is my first podcast ever, so I'm super oh, yay. <laughs> I often people often put me first because this is so low key. <laughs> no stress, just the opportunity for you to to talk and tell us everything about the book. So, how did you two decide to team up on this book? Why this book in particular? Why coyotes? Tell me the whole story. Well, uh, Mom, do you want to start? Okay, I'll start because it started with a letter that an invitation that came to me from Griffin Press telling me about this wonderful series they have voices for the voiceless which is children's books that engage children with nature and with with wild animals so they had read a novel of mine that had a lot of information about coyotes in it and so they thought that I might be just the person to write a children's book about coyotes for their series. I looked at this, they sent me a a previous book about warblers, a warbler's journey. And I looked at that book, which is beautiful, beautifully produced. I love the idea, but sadly I had to write them a letter back saying, I wish I were the right person. This is a great idea, but I can't write children's books. I've tried, I don't have those skills. 
I just don't. Lily came over that day because that was before she went to Florida for a couple of years for her to get her master's degree. We've always lived pretty close together. And will again, right, Lily? Yes. <laughs> so, but so Lily came over, saw this beautiful book on my kitchen table and said, wow, what's this? And I told her. And then she saw my letter and said, well, why why wouldn't you want to do this? It's so important to to give predators some good press, you know, in children's books. And I said, well, I can't think of a way to put the entire complicated natural history of coyotes into a, a narrative for a children's picture book. And Lily said, well, what about this? And she just rattled the plot right off there and then. And I said, Lily, you're the person who should write this book. Well, first of all, mom is being modest because she could write absolutely anything she puts her mind to. Um, and yeah, has written a lot of wonderful things. But I am really lucky that I've I've uh, been able to work with kids for about eight years now. I love kids. I spend a lot of time with kids. And when you spend a lot of time with kids, you read a lot of children's books. And so I'm in that world and I'm really interested in them. You know, it's, it's much more fun to read a good children's book than to read a not so good children's book um, with kids. And so I was just so excited for mom to have this opportunity. I wasn't at all thinking of being part of it. At first, I was just like, oh, mom, you can't miss this, this chance to be in this world. It's, you know, so, so dear to my heart. And I was so honored by her invitation to be part of it. And I guess the rest is history. <laughs> then we worked well, together. I'm, Lily's being modest, too, because <laughs> it really was entirely her idea. It really did just unroll so naturally. And I don't have that skill. I mean, Lily has a different skill set. She's a wonderful poet. She's she's really engaged and really good at talking with children. And and this is a particular skill, Lily, that you have of explaining complicated things in a way that children can understand. And it's with great respect and it's not condescending. It's really a special skill and she's got it. And so we wrote back to Griffin Press instead. We tore up my letter saying, can't be done. And sent a, sent a different letter saying, how about if we do it as a team? And it turns out that Griffin Press is a mother-daughter team as well. So they loved the idea. But Lily is the first author on this book for a reason. It was her, it was her idea, her story. I really, and I really, we enjoyed working together on it. And we really enjoyed bringing in our friend, Paul Maroka as the illustrator. It was, it was a fabulous project, but it really all happened because of Lily. Because you came into my kitchen that day and saw the, and saw, saw that, but it was serendipity. Meant to be. I feel so lucky. <laughs> So after you sent the letter back, what happened? Did you sit down and write it together right away? How did you collaborate? Did you write it on paper? Somebody had a computer? What did that whole process look like? So Griffin accepted this proposal very, very soon before I moved to Florida. So all of a sudden I was not near mom anymore. And it was really wonderful to have this project that we were working on because I think it connected us, especially in those first few months where I felt kind of untethered here. I was, you know, just starting grad school, didn't know a lot of people. It was great to have that reason to call home every other day, you know, even though I probably would have been doing that anyway, because I was homesick. But I was like, oh, we need to talk about page 14. You know? I was going to say, Lily, we text each other like sometimes like 15 times a day. Um, 
we're 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 lucky to have a really wonderful adult relationship. One of my favorite things about having daughters is that they grew up to be amazing women who are my friends. So it was really as friends that we and colleagues that we got to work on this project together. The beginning of the process was that we sent, well, we didn't really, it's the first children's book for both of us. We had no idea of the format or really sort of what the rules were. So after Griffin, after Emily and Dana, you know, very enthusiastically said, yes, uh, let's do this uh, as a team. We sent, they said, um, you know, write up a proposal. So we sent them a proposal uh, of, for our story that was about, what was it, Lily? 3,000 words? Down there, yeah. And that was our proposal. And they wrote back and said, well, a children's picture book has to have about 1,200 words. So we said, oops. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I would say the most the most challenging and interesting part of the process for us was really condensing even further these big ideas that we had uh, about biology and predators and how predators are so important to ecosystems, reducing that all to 1200 words. I think in the end, we ended up with maybe 1400, but uh, <laughs> but it was just we just kept thinking and thinking and a, a, a big light bulb moment for us, I think, was when we realized that in a picture book, the pictures really are worth a thousand words. So we figured out how to lean on the pictures. We don't have to describe the setting. We let the illustrations do that. What else, Lily, what can you think of that was uh, challenging for us in the beginning? Oh, goodness. Yeah, a lot of it was just honing those things down. Also, because biology ideas are so big, letting go of certain things we wanted to say, you know, really realizing that we couldn't fit every single thing um, into a children's book. And that's okay. It doesn't need to be every single thing. You know, there, there can never be enough children's books. Maybe that's a different one in the future. And so, yeah, accepting that we could only put a certain amount of message and then deciding what our message was going to be was a challenge, but a really good one. And I feel like we both brought our own perspectives from our own work experiences in the past. I mean, I absolutely would not have been able to do this whole process without mom saying, okay, this is the part where we send them this, you know, this is the part where we send them the manuscript. This is the part where like, she knows all the whole process of writing a book, you know, which I would not have been brave enough to go into by myself. Um, even, you know, I texted her this morning and said, what do you do on a podcast? How many hours? <laughs> <laughs> so. to, to full disclosure, she said, well, we have to talk for hours and hours. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. And I said, I've never had one that lasted more than an hour. And the time goes really fast. No, I would not keep you on. That is no. <laughs> Mom, I don't, don't have, have hours and hours and hours. And hours. Yeah, I wouldn't have time to do my podcast. You know, <laughs> the great part, not the great part. One of the great parts about this book in particular is the dual storyline, if you will, of, of the daughter and the grandfather who are walking through the woods. And then you also have the actual coyote and the coyote's family and how these two basically meet or come very, very close toward at the end of the book and how the story is almost, it's propulsive in that way because you're trying to figure out how are they connecting and what are they trying to teach each other. So talk a little bit about that and how that formatting and the storytelling of it sort of led to the bigger message. 
Well, I'm going to jump in first and say that was entirely the genius of Lily. That okay. was the that was the that was the narrative that she just rolled right out at my kitchen table that day, and it is brilliant because we're you know we we're biologists and we you know we also are naturalists and and environmentalists and we care deeply about these animals and we didn't want to reduce them to cartoons or anthropomorphize them or pretend that they're people because they have their own value as who they are so this narrative this idea lily came up with of having a dual narrative with a, a a child having her first experience in the woods with a beloved relative and a coyote pup having his first experience as a, in the in a, as a learning to hunt with a beloved relative that allows us to bring kind of human language and human you know comprehension into a story about animals that don't speak english you know and and really show with parallels that they're doing the same things a mm-hmm. lot of the same things i think seeing those parallels for kids is a lot of what helps develop the environmental sensitivity that we know kids need to later in life have environmentally responsible behavior um they need to have a basis of seeing seeing themselves reflected in nature and in biology. And I think, you know, there's so many ways to do that. There are kids everywhere in nature learning different things. And it just, I mean, it's so easy to see those parallels. You know, we are, we are a, a top predator. We are omnivores, not, well, but so are coyotes. Coyotes aren't carnivores, you know, like many people think they're omnivores too. They are, they fill a very similar niche to us in many ways. And so um, it just seemed I don't know. So, so clear to me to position them opposite, but also it was really important to us that they not truly meet because so much of that respect for predators is giving them the space they deserve, giving them um, what they need to be co cohabitants with us, what they need to share our environment. And so we talked about it a lot and we decided, you know, the coyotes see the people at one point and they decide to leave, which is what coyotes mostly do when they see people. They don't want to stick around. Um, and we want to, you know, encourage kids to to understand that that, that distance is a kind of respect. And even still, I'm holding up this picture, which is my favorite moment of the book when the coyote, it's a beautiful painting of the coyotes peering through a little hole in the bushes and they're seeing on the riverbank, they are seeing grandpa and Diana and contemplating, you know, this other species. Just there's so many things that's it's kind of a climax because they do. That's when they almost meet. But it's also this it's a kind of a spiritual moment when you realize that animals have their fears and their their curiosities as well as we do. It's just it's just um it's a lovely moment. And then as Lily says, they all leave each other to their own lives, uh, to their own safe spaces. So yeah, and another another thing that was really helpful and useful with this device of the double narrative is that Diana, our little girl who is on her first camping trip, with her grandfather is she's from a city and she's on she's 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 new to this world and so it gives us a natural opportunity for grandpa to explain things to her and when she hears the coyotes she's afraid and he explains to her why he's not afraid and how important predators are in these in this ecosystem what an important uh job they have to do and Diana thinks, oh, animals have jobs. So it's this way of, of introducing sort of a teacher 
into the story in a natural way that just comes right up out of the out of the story. Amazing. Well, I think it's so important, particularly now, but always, when you fear something, someone, to really make sure you understand. Because once Diana and her grandfather really understand and they understand what the role is and who they are and what they're thinking and feeling, it's really just this big opportunity for more empathy and to stop the fear and you know, the retaliation, often fear causes action, which can be incredibly harmful. And I think part of the story is like, take a beat here and figure it out. Like, why should you not be afraid? Or how can you have respect for someone else who is doing what they need to be doing and coexist that way? Yeah. One of the main reasons we we wanted to do this book, actually, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Lily. Uh, Do you want to talk about our feelings about about predators and predator representation in literature? I mean, go, you can, you can start for sure. I I, I have a lot of similar things to say. Um, I do think predators are so vilified and we have always been the kind of people who care deeply for things that are misrepresented, who want to give care to things like the big bad wolf, you know, Mm -hmm. that are are positioned in all of these stories as as these terrifying others that are just representative of all things bad. And that's, kids have the ability to understand nuance because kids understand stranger danger. Kids understand um, the difference between their parents and people that they meet on the street. So they can understand that it's okay to meet something that's very different from you that could have the potential to be dangerous if you react in appropriate ways. If you keep your distance, just like you would with a stranger, if you don't engage, if you don't go with them, right? There there are ways for kids to understand just non-action. You know, if you see something you're afraid of, you don't have to approach it and fight with it. You can just remove yourself. And that's that's respectful to the animal. I, I'm so I, I work in a nature preschool and I'm thinking of last week we live in Florida. So we have lots of wonderful fauna. And last week a seven foot rat snake came into our nature nook. And I said, oh what a beautiful rat snake. And then it sat there all through nature nook time. And um the kids, you know, some of them said that they were very afraid. And others said they loved it and they, you know, wanted to make it a picnic. And I said, don't do that, you know. <laughs> that it's okay to be afraid of that snake and still just stand back, give it that respect, give it that space. And like you can validate a kid's feelings and you don't need to take away that fear, but you can also instill in them kind of a, a peace, a calm about it. And like like you said, just taking a beat and giving giving space. I just, we keep coming back to space. At preschool, we yeah. talk about that all the time. Sometimes you need space, sometimes an animal needs space. <laughs> right. And and even beyond, you know, the relationship and, and the response or reaction to an animal, it's so important, we, we, we feel, we believe, to appreciate that that animal has a job in its own importance and predators in particular, as Lily said, have been vilified throughout history, has, have been uh, uh, put, you know, put into children's stories as the, the scary enemy. In fact, predators are incredibly important. Predators are the most, the certain predators like wolves, like coyotes are keystones in their ecosystems that help keep the whole thing in balance. People don't think about the fact that 
Well, the the reason the the whole reason that deer are overrunning the eastern United States and considered widely considered a pest because there's so so many of them, that's because people you know the early colonists who came here shot and killed all the wolves, mm-hmm. and the wolves were keeping the whole system in balance. The coyotes, in fact, have moved into this region over the last century because. They've they found this empty niche and they're filling it. And so they're starting to restore balance. That's a beautiful thing. And it seems like a really complicated idea to put into a children's book. But guess what? We did. <laughs> we, we found a way, you know, to to understand it's not just, you know, step one is evaluate, you know, give space and evaluate our our reevaluate our fears. Step two is respect and observe and and think about the importance of another another creature and the role it plays we're predators too mhm ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the whole, if you start taking something apart that you don't really understand, it's like a a table you're trying to make, right? You move one of the legs a little bit, the whole thing comes falling over and you're like, but it was just like an inch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's ecology. That's the science of ecology, how important all of the different pieces are in how they fit together. So yeah, these are complicated Ideas. That's why if my initial response was no way. And Lily's response was yes way. We can do this. And when we turned it over, I will tell you that when we turned our text over to our illustrator, Paul, he said, you, Barbara and Lily, you've written the war and peace of children's <laughs> picture books. <laughs> So we're kind of proud of that. <laughs> you should be proud. Well, it still works. And, you know, Lily is a teacher. I, you know, I know you know this, but it still it still works. It's still easily communicated. And I think people sometimes underestimate what kids can understand. And a lot of ta- books don't necessarily value, you know, their bright intellects and everything. So anyway, I would not worry about the kids. This was totally, <laughs> this, is, this is great and, and very entertaining. And the art itself is just absolutely beautiful. When did both of you, or maybe 
Barbara, it was your love that informed Lily's, but become such, you know, staunch environmentalists and nature lovers. And how do you, how is that part of your family life on like a day-to-day basis? Like my family and I don't have a specific view on the role of predators in literature, for example, (laughs) but you do. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that and how is this dinner table conversation? How does this all come up with, with, with the two of you and the rest of your family? Well, mom, you should start because you were an environmentalist before I was born. (laughs) I, I think it's just completely integrated into our lives. And I will say that it probably is an essential part of this is the fact that both Lily and I grew up in rural place. Mm -hmm. I grew up in in rural Kentucky. My playground was the woods, the fields and the woods around our house. So from the time that the earliest I can remember, I spent a lot of time on my own without adult supervision. Well, my brother's supervision, he's only two years older. So that was very limited (laughs) supervision. Just, you know, playing in the woods, trying things out, you know, finding instead of collecting you know, Pikachu cards or whatever, we collected acorns and beautiful rocks and uh, turtle shells and things that we found. And that was just, that was our wonderland. And that sense of wonder and appreciation and awareness that I am one species among many, actually millions of other species who all have an important, who all believe frankly, that they are the most important creature on earth. You know, we all have that sort of centric notion of ourselves, but it's every, we're all working together. And even right now, it's important to me that when I look out the window in my office, I'm looking at trees. And it was important to me to raise Lily and her sister with the same appreciation. So, so what was your, what was your playground, Lily? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of the same things to say as mom, but I also want to add, um, I'm getting my master's in environmental education, and I've been learning a lot recently about how we instill these environmental values in kids. And something that we know for research is that in the first, I believe it's, don't quote me on this, but I think the first thousand days of a person's life, they that is when you have the opportunity to develop this environmental sensitivity. And really before the age of five, during early childhood, big experiences either of positive interaction with nature or negative, not negative interaction with nature, but seeing something negative happen in nature. So for example, I was really, really lucky that I got to grow up first in um, the Sonoran Desert and my parents took me outside every day and I played in under the mesquite trees every day. And then when we moved to Virginia, they let me go into the woods every day and, and, um, explore myself. So I had all these really positive experiences. My husband grew up in a less rural place and he had a creek behind his house that he watched become more and more polluted. And he said he remembers as a kid finding frogs and bugs and then the water looks orange and then it's oily and then the frogs and bugs aren't there anymore. And he was devastated. This creek that he played in growing up became something else, you know, and he saw this happen and that impact allowed him to develop a lot of these same feelings about um, protecting nature and its intrinsic value. And so it doesn't have to be, I mean, I'm I'm so, so fortunate that I, I got all these early positive experiences in nature, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, putting your kid outside in the woods every day. It's really just giving them some experience where they see either the benefits that nature can provide or they see why nature needs to be protected. 
if that makes sense. And I, I just feel so grateful that I was given all those early opportunities to connect to frogs and bugs and coyotes <laughs> and all the wonderful things out there that n- not everybody loves, honestly. I, f- oh. I feel like your husband's stream should be its own book. Maybe that should be your next <laughs> <Maybe step. it laughs> is. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good idea. Um, and so, well, since, you know, since this is a pod- uh, podcast for moms, I want to say as a mom that I, I learned really er- that it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to live next to a, a, a national park. You live close to, if it, I mean, barring very sad exceptions, you live close to some trees. I'm sure of it. There have to be some trees near where you live. And I remember from the earliest, my earliest days as a mother, that on the fussiest uh, days, it would always calm my babies to take them outside under trees and let them look up at leaves moving in front of the sky. There was just something magically calming. And I don't know, maybe it was helping to calm me down. I was going to say that. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> or, or just the break. But there's something, honestly, I believe it's just, I, and this is just, you know, this is the theory of Barbara. But I think there's something inside of us that is calmed by natural things, by the sight of things that were not made by humans. And I think that, you know, even just taking your taking your kid to the park, even in, it's a funny thing in, in Tucson, we used to go to the cemetery because it had, the, it had the biggest trees and the most grass. It was sort of the greenest, leafiest place around. So um, that was one of my refuges to take the babies to the cemetery. They didn't know. They didn't know there were dead people around us. But just as a mom, and maybe I was also tapping into my own, the sort of the the thread of the the sort of that river of calm in myself tapping back to my own childhood how i always felt comforted by being outside but i think that um those i was just thinking lily when you said the first thousand days i'm i'm trying to remember how many times i took you camping in your first (laughs) thousand days i remember one time oh gosh you were not even one year old and we took you camping and I had you in your car seat. And somehow when my back was turned, you had jumped out of the car seat and you were sort of crawling around in the dirt, <laughs> covered with dirt and happy as could be. And, you know, some people might think that was terrible, but it, it, it wasn't. It was it it great was, for my immune system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, just getting outside. And honestly, on kind of that same topic of bringing your kid to the graveyard, so much of nature is how you frame it. And I just have to say, I hear these preschoolers every day say things that they've heard their parents say. And if they've heard their parents say snakes are ugly, that's what they're going to say, you know? And so all about this, this nature preschool is based in an AZA certified zoo. It's a really good zoo. Um, And so we're lucky that we get to see all these really incredible animals. And sometimes the kids are parroting things they've heard and they'll say, that crocodile is really ugly. And we always try to say to the kids, can we look at the crocodile with kinder eyes? Can we think of, of you know, we, we say a lot, we don't use mean words to describe our friends or animals or anything alive. Can we think of another way to describe it? That's maybe that crocodile is very bumpy. That crocodile looks very different than me. That crocodile is really interesting, you know, trying to frame things in a way that allows your kid to absorb more than just that coyote's mean or that snake is ugly, you know? And so the graveyard, I didn't know it was a graveyard. I'm sure. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Lily, I love what you just said about thinking of animals as our friends and speaking of them the way we would speak of friends. That's a really good rule, I think, for parents to bear in mind because we wouldn't, we don't, I mean, when we're doing our, when we're at our best as parents, we don't speak ill of other people or of friends. We model kindness towards people. And it's interesting that we wouldn't think to extend the same modeling uh, of kindness to species other than our own. We were aware as we wrote this book, as I think one has to be when writing uh, a children's book, that we're also writing for parents. And Mm -hmm. one thing we're really aware of, and this actually came up in the editing process because we're, we've, I've read a million books to to children. Uh, I mean, not a million books, but certain books a million times, it seems. And now Lily has two. And we're aware as, as, as adults that you, you enjoy reading the books that engage you as well. Mm-hmm. And so we were aware of several things. One is that we want this to be educational for parents too. We think that, you know, there are parents who are going to learn some interesting ecological information from this book in a, in a very simple, enjoyable way. But also there was, there's things that are harder and easier to read. There was one place where the editors wanted us to, the coyotes, how, oh, whoop, there's that mm-hmm. happens a few times. And there was once we they wanted us to put it three times on the same page, and we said, nope, that's <laughs> not gonna happen. <laughs> just, just our our compassion for the parent. You have to you have to parse <laughs> But also another thing I love about this book, which was part of the format that was given to us by uh Griffin Press, is that and I'm holding it up again for those who can see. Yes, I love the that. last two pages are for really for the parents more for the uh adults it's facts about coyotes and you can learn a lot more information about this wonderful this beautiful animal from those last pages and that helped us when we had to pare down and pare down our story we kept saying well we can put that in the end pages Wow. Well, one thing I've learned from the two of you is not just how to respect nature, but what happens when mothers and daughters treat each other with the most respect. I mean, the two of the way you two speak to each other, maybe I'm I'm guessing it's not just for this podcast. But, <laughs> no. um, but, but all <laughs> no, we around, really like each other. Yeah, a lot. you can tell. It's so <laughs> it's really wonderful as a as a role model type relationship to see what can happen as you get older and have just the same interests and collaboration and just that respect that we should have fundamentally of each other and all living creatures, but really those closest to us the most. So thank you for modeling that as well. And I don't want to keep you all day. This is not an all day podcast. So <laughs> thank you again for coming on. Congratulations on this beautiful, beautiful book and the difference that it will make in so many families' lives. Thank you much. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.